Hi, everyone, and welcome. A little bit different kind of a morning if you're just joining us. If you're a guest today, we especially want to welcome you. We'll come back and address you a bit more at the end and explain how you can maybe take some next steps in, in getting to know us. We love, of course, as we always say here, to make this church your church. And so we'll talk about more at the end, we'll save our announcements, receive our offering at that point. But this morning we're doing something a little bit different. We have a special guest with us this morning. Many of you know, many of you love, of course, is Pastor Jim LaFoon. Jim uh, makes his home in the, I guess, in Zachary. Chapel Hill, North Carolina. He travels the world speaking. He's one, as we say, one part Bible teacher, one part counselor and pastor, and two parts prophet. I don't know what that kind of all adds up to. Math was never my strong suit, uh, but you know, it, it sounds good. All right. So Jim travels the world, travels many churches, again, because of our relationship, because of his care and concern. For us, he comes here on a regular basis, usually once, sometimes twice a year. If we can bribe him with some Papacitas and Rudy's, maybe more often, he could probably get in here more often, but we'll see about that. You guys know what he likes now, but uh, anyway, Jim's here and he's going to minister to us. He, we had a great meeting last night where people were just being touched by the Holy Spirit. Uh, over and over again, we saw God so faithful to minister. And one thing about being around Jim, I just, uh, Carrie and I over the years have come to know and believe is that this man really lives what he preaches, really lives what he preaches. He's such an encouragement and a lifter of people and churches. And so anyway, you know, if you don't know him, you sound like, man, I'm just kind of tooting this horn. So be it. So be it. The Bible says give honor where honor is due, and it's certainly due him. So let's welcome him as he comes this morning, church. I begin as a message in Luke chapter 5. I'll just say a couple things about it. I can't remember if I ever titled the message. I think I finally titled it On the Edge of Destiny. I want to give you a quick flyover, and then you can turn into Mark chapter 4, where we're going to be this morning. Last night, I talked about Luke um, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And when the story opens, Jesus is preaching next to the Sea of Galilee. Thousands of people are evidently there, so much so the crowd was pressing him. You're later going to find in that story, he he got in a boat and asked to be rowed out so he could see the whole crowd and preach. And the story opens there, two boats there with no one in them it says they're on the edge of the sea now the sea of galilee in the scripture amazing things happen there people walk on water massive catches the fish hellacious storms and i said last night that this church is on the edge of the greatest destiny you've ever known and even as jesus in that story would step into the boat of peter step into the boat of andrew take command and lead them into the greatest catch of their life that would even inquire John and James coming to help them. So this church is coming into an immense time of harvest. The harvest you've known now, double services, it's a foundation, it's a down payment for the multiple, multiple services and sites you'll have before God is done here. Now, my hope is I don't want you to react to what God's going to want you to proact. And in that story... Once they figure out Jesus is not just a passenger, but the boss of the ship, everything begins to change. Having Jesus in your life as a passenger won't bring much to you. In fact, many people that say, I mean, God's in my life, Jesus is in my life, everything's going bad. It's his fault. I say, no, it's not his fault because practically he's not the boss. Stop blaming him and treating him like he's your master when in reality he's your passenger. But when he took command... He commanded them to go where they just fished all night. 
The harvest was immense, but because they hadn't really believed him and gone through the motions, they lost much of it. So I want to say, first of all, Jesus is leading this church into immense harvest. Leading this church into a fresh relaunching. I mean, I feel so privileged to watch what God's done here and watch what God will begin to do, even by the time this decade is over. But when you allow Jesus to master your boat, it's not just a harvest you get. And I want to bring part two of this message to you this morning, and I'm going to entitle it Storm Lord. I want to talk to you about why is it that we face such immense storms. How many of you have ever faced an unexpected storm and feel like you're going to be capsized? Raise your hand. If you have not, one day you'll be raising your hand. Trust me now. Okay. Now in Mark 4, 35, let me set the stage because this is one of the stories told multiple places. Now Mark is typically Peter's account of what happened with Jesus as an eyewitness written by a young man named Mark whose name was John and had a real life transformation. When you look at this story, a couple things have happened. In Matthew 8, we find that newly in their ministry, Peter has brought Jesus home. And his mother-in-law is very ill, too ill to even properly greet them. Jesus heals her, and the miracle is so stupendous that his whole village is awakened. And the Bible says one of the rare times, every sick person in that town is healed. How many of you know that's a serious miracle? Imagine for a moment that Jesus has come home with you. And every one of the sick neighbors in your part of Austin is healed. And people that are just out of their minds with pain come into their right mind. To the disciples, this is everything they've ever lived for. His family's being touched. Their friends are being touched. Their neighbors are being touched. Minds are boggled. Now, this is where God can be sometimes hard to understand. In the middle of this massive crowd teeming with people, Jesus stands up and says, we're leaving. You can ask Morgan as a pastor. Pastors don't leave crowds. It just doesn't make sense. Hundreds of people are there. Surely Jesus is going to take an offering, start a church. He can do something. We're leaving. The disciples, they can't believe it. He basically, now we take the story up in Mark 4.35. That day when evening came. Now, let me add one more factor. Evidently, when you try to put the stories together in kind of a synoptic way, the crowds have grown so big in that village that once again, Jesus ends up in a boat. You see that in Mark 4.31. He's having to teach out of a boat again. Now, the day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now, here's what's interesting about God. He typically waits until we really can't see to have the major transitions in our life when evening came. So many times in the Bible, strategic moves were made in the dark. Why is this? You know, the Lord just, maybe, you know, he's... Doesn't need much sleep. He never sleeps or something. I mean, what's the deal? I think there are many times Jesus will call you into the greatest moments of your life when you're most disoriented. When you can figure it out the least. So when evening came, he said, let's go to the other side. 
Now, where they were on the other side was what was called the Decapolis. It was 10 Romanized cities. A hundred years before, Pompey had made some real conquests, and he'd carved out 10 cities out of Israel, and he'd radically Romanized them. 10 pagan Romanized Gentile cities. To the good Jews of that day, that's not where you want to go. That's where kind of the Decapolis demoniac lived. That's where they raised pigs for the Roman army. That's where there was idolatry and every kind of foulness. But Jesus realized, and what the disciples didn't understand is, it's not just about you. It's not just about your mother-in-law, your parents, your kids. You see, many times we can get so caught up with what Jesus is doing in our life, we miss the fact that he's missional. We miss the fact that he's after something. Mary and Joseph went through it. Imagine, how, imagine being the mom and dad of Jesus. How many of you know you've been proud parents? Just raise your hand. You know, parent, teacher, we've never had a child like yours, Mr. LaFoon. He's, he's perfect. Oh, he's, you know, a lot like his dad. And, you know, now, I'd have loved to be his parent. I'd have hated to be his younger brothers or sisters. When are you going to be like your brother? He never did that. I mean, it's no wonder they didn't want to follow him until after he died and rose from the dead. I mean, they're resentful. When will you be like your big brother? I mean, give me a break. Okay, now. But you remember when he turned 12, and they'd been to Jerusalem, and they're on the way home, and they could not find him. Now, he wasn't a normal 12-year-old. They didn't even look for him for 24 hours. They couldn't find him, and they got frantic. Now, catch this, because I'm going to bring this in. It's important. Finally, they searched all over, and his mom heard, there's a kid in the temple, and the whole Sanhedrin is meeting with him. She goes, it's my kid. Who other kid would be with meeting with the Sanhedrin at 12? She goes into the temple to find him. You're going to think, I'm so proud of you. You're with the Sanhedrin. Oh, I, I raised you for this moment, the angel. You, what's wrong with you? Why'd you disappoint your dad and I? Why? Just chewing him out. Chewing God out in his own house. And you would have thought she'd have understood. And here was his answer. Mama, didn't you know sooner or later... I had to move into my dad's house and be about his business. Many times we lose sight of God because he's getting down to business. And it's not just about our home anymore. It's not just about our marriage. And this church is coming into a transition when God's going to bring you down to his business more clearly than ever before. And he is going to lead you into immense harvest. But that harvest always has a cost. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Now, what does that just as he was allude to? It's hard to say, but some believe that basically Jesus was already on the water teaching. The crowds had swollen so much around the neighborhood, they couldn't even put him to shore and get him off the boat. He'd have been overwhelmed with people wanting to be healed. So basically, they rowed out to where he was and put him in their boat. Now, they're going to the other side. Many times, we're not ready for what happens when we follow Jesus because we fail to understand what's at stake. Now watch this. This is interesting. It goes on to say, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. 
Now, we're getting ready to find, remember that big storm and they're scared to death? Have you ever wondered how the guys in the other boats felt? I mean, be bad enough to feel like you're dying with Jesus asleep in your boat. What if you were in like the other boat, there was no Jesus there? That just kind of, let's just put things in perspective here. There was a flotilla there. They had Jesus in their boat. Now, many times, our concept of faith becomes not what the Bible says, but what we're used to. The only thing they have understood is, last time Jesus got in our boat, we had a big harvest. Last time Jesus got in our boat, it was such a blessing. When Jesus got in my marriage, got in my business, got in my life. And because they're locked in, Jesus in the boat means happy days are here again. What's ever going to happen to me? I'm in Christ Community Church. Man, my life, there's going to be no more war, no more pain, no more storm. Jesus is with me. Problem is, Jesus with you bring a lot of presents, but it can bring a lot of problems too. Now watch this. A furious squall. NIV ruins it here. That's another word for hurricane in the Bible. A furious hurricane came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. They were hit with a storm of such magnitude. You're talking Peter, James, John, Andrew. Typically in the boat of that day when they looked in archaeology, four people rode it typically. It was about 26 feet long. So you had seriously experienced sailors. And all of a sudden, a furious storm comes out of nowhere. Many times when a church begins to go to the other side, we find the individuals are going to a new level of destiny in their marriage, their business, their family. But all of a sudden, right in the middle of crossing over into an immense harvest, crossing over into an extraordinary time, you are hit with a storm out of nowhere that's beyond anything you've known. They're they're sinking, basically. Now, surely as they're sinking, Jesus is wide awake. I've got the tiller. Don't be afraid. I've got this. They're frantic, and they look around, and where is God when they need him? Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Let's be honest. If you were about to die, and you looked over, and Jesus was asleep, how many of you would be fairly frustrated? Let's just be honest. Do you ever get the feeling that God is sound asleep when you need him most. Your prayers don't seem to be answered, can't feel his presence. And they had to be mad because Jesus told them to do this. You told me to do it, Lord. You told me to marry him. I didn't realize he was an idiot. You told me, Lord, to like go to his church. You told me to take this job. Well, just because he told you didn't mean it's going to be easy. Well, the last time we got in a boat with you, we got a big harvest. Now we're getting big hell. What's going on? He's snoring away and sleeping. They're going, man, you need to be up. What's wrong with you? Now, one of the problems is when Jesus gives you lots of revelation, sooner or later, he's going to come along and give you a test of that revelation. Remember, he'd just been giving them a little teaching. You can look back in Mark 4, 26 through 29. We've been giving you, he said, let me tell you how the kingdom of God works. He says, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who planted the word 
And whether he was sound asleep or whether he was wide awake, God was with him and blessing him. So Jesus gave them that little teaching. Now he's getting ready to give them a little test. In the middle of their crisis, in the middle of their dilemma, in the middle of a storm that's overwhelming them. Number one, it's about to destroy Peter's whole business. Whose fishing boat do you think they're in? He's about to lose his business. He's about to see his brother die. He's about to lose his friends. And as far as he knows, he's about to lose his life. Because they've never seen a squalor, a squall like this. To this day, on the Sea of Galilee in Arabic, they call it the shark wind. Because sometimes at evenings, violent storms can come up. Now Jesus is sleeping. Now here's the problem. If God doesn't seem too worried about what you're facing, do you think maybe he's sending a quiet message to you? That you know, hey, look, I'm not worried either. I'm kind of restful in this whole thing. Why is it that when we hit crisis, we don't want God to be God. We want to reduce him to our humanity so he'll worry with us. Lord, I'm about to die. God says, man, I'm afraid too. I mean, I'm really worried myself. Maybe you want to hear that. But you kind of want to make sure God's got it kind of up to it, kind of alert, realizing you're in the biggest crisis in all of human history. And there he is, kind of snoring his way through your crisis. Now, why would he do that? Because storms are about two things. They're about revelation, and they're about release. God allows storms to come in your life to give you revelation about who you are deep inside and about who he is. Because once you see two of those things, real change can begin in your life. Now watch what this storm reveals. How many of you know it's easier to be a Christian when you're in church than when you're in a storm during the week? Raise your hand. In church, you're praising, maybe kind of slipping a hand up. If you grew up Baptist like me, maybe it's only one hand when you worship. People think you're raising your hand, not worshiping. I was Baptist. I grew up that way. So anyway, you know, wherever you are, you're kind of flowing around in church. Now, if you're African-American Baptist, you get that two hands, shout, praise. Anyway, okay, now. I was a bad Baptist. I was an American Baptist in California. We weren't even considered Baptist by the real Baptist, the Southern Baptist. Okay, anyway, now. So Jesus is snoring away. He's snoring away on his boat. The disciples woke him and said to him, Lord, we know you're going to save us. Lord, we're just really glad you're here. No, no. That storm stripped them down to the essence of the level of their faith. Teacher! You notice the master thing's gone? Why is it that Christ always reveals the true status of your relationship with the Lord? Not master, beloved friend. Teacher! What's wrong with your teaching? It's not working. And what a statement of faith. Don't you care if we drowned? What a deep relation they had. Number one, it was revealed they really wondered if God cared about them, and they knew this was so big they were going to die. The storm comes in your life, whether it's demonically expired or just kind of, you kind of inspired it yourself by your behavior, whatever it is. I mean, there, you know, there are storms that you start yourself and blame God for like speaking in a way you shouldn't speak to your wife. You get a storm. Okay. Now, all right. Now, so you wait, he wakes up, wake up. Now, I don't really think Jesus is fully asleep. I think he's kind of restful. 
just wait until their flesh is in full form to deal with them. He got up and rebuked the storm. Now, this is so important here. This word for rebuke is the same word you find in Mark one twenty-five and Mark 3.12 when he rebukes demons. It's a word out of Jewish exorcism. Because what you're going to find is this storm, the reason they're so afraid, the reason even though they grew up on the Sea of Galilee, they've never seen a storm like it because they've never invited Jesus into their boat, into their business, and now they're threatening the enemy. And he says he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet. In the, in the original, that means he muzzled them. What Jesus realized is that as they went across the Sea of Galilee, the demonic spirits that were over the Decapolis stirred up a storm to sink them and destroy them. And Jesus said, I rebuke you. Quiet. And in that moment, the storm stopped. How do you know? That's scary. And you're going to find in a moment when they saw his power, from then on, they feared God more than they feared any storm the devil would ever bring. Now watch this. The storm stops. Remember what I'm saying here. Storms are intended by God to reveal what's in your heart and to reveal who he really is. Now this is interesting. Watch how this happens here. They go on, and this is where God could, honestly, i got to take him be a little aggravating in verse 40. He said to his disciples, man, why were you guys afraid? I think to myself, why was I afraid? Like the boat was swamped, we were singing, we were in a hurricane, and you were asleep. Why is God always like, so you're about to die, lion's about to eat, you're about to lose everything. Why are you afraid? I'm afraid because you live up there and I live down here and it's scary down here. It's just like scary. I mean, poor old Moses, the Red Sea, told him, God's got it. He looks at God, God! God says, man, why are you bugging me about it? Just kind of stretch out your hand and see what happens. I mean, we don't like it when God didn't seem to take our crisis seriously. I mean, Lord, be serious about this. I could die. I don't mind if you die. I'll see you sooner. I mean, like, help me here. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, beloved, he's beginning to reveal. And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Winds and waves obey him. Now, watch this. They're getting a revelation that this Jesus has power over everything external we'll ever face. Any storm in our business, any storm. Remember, this storm had a demonic root. He spoke to it. Now, but the storm of God is not just about revelation. It's about release. Now, watch this. The same Jesus that calmed an external storm is now going to land in what they call the regions of the Gerasenes here, speaking of the Decapolis. He's now going to land in the Decapolis and meet face-to-face the human with the single greatest internal storm in all the Bible. And he is getting ready to show his disciples 
Not only do I have power over every storm around you, I've got power over every storm in you. Now watch this. Now the disciples, what's going to happen here is kind of one of the mysterious ways God moves. The enemy, the demonic powers, and trust me, you say, well, I don't know if I believe in demons. That's kind of one of those things you may not know if you, like, believe in the Ebola virus either. There are certain things that are true whether you believe it or not. What you believe about something doesn't make it true or not true. It's like maybe native peoples that thought bullets couldn't kill them. Listen, beloved, believe or not believe, it doesn't change reality. Now watch this. Jesus realizes they're breaking something here. They hit the shore, and out of legend and myth comes a single most feared man in that part of the world. The Decapolis demoniac. The Gadarene demoniac. Now, here's the interesting thing. Once you've faced a big storm and seen Jesus deliver you, you'll never ever be afraid of a storm in a person. Jesus puts things in perspective for them. Now watch this, beloved. Here he comes. And the Bible describes a level of pain in this human that most of us cannot comprehend. When, the four, when Jesus got out of the boat, 5-1, a man with an impure spirit, well, there were over 5,000 of them to be exact, came from the tombs. Now, if you're living in the tombs as a Jewish man, you're already unclean, you're done, you're outside of faith. This man lived in the tombs, no one could bind him. Now, remember, this was under Roman jurisdiction. That means Roman soldiers could not bind him. That means the Roman army could not handle him. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. How many of you, that's that's just, that's like a Marvel character. For he'd often been chained hand and foot and tore them. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, He'd cry out and cut himself. He's a cutter. A storm in him that humanity did not only have the, not have the answer for it, they couldn't restrain him. There are people all over living in entombed society today. No matter how angry you may see them at work, at night they're crying out for help. At night they're crying out. They're cutting themselves to have some sense of reality in the numbness of their pain. There's no hope for him. But Jesus comes ashore. And what the disciples didn't realize, that storm wasn't just about them. It was about him. And when Jesus broke the power of that storm, he broke the power that was binding that man. And now he'd easily set him free. The battles you face are never just about you. They're about your coworkers, your relatives, your family. That storm you're facing... Part of our problem is this. We basically look at everything through the lens of how it affects us. Like, I can't figure this out. What's it to do with me? What if it's not to do with you? You're going through a storm, and as you pray and respond, someone else is going to be set free. Life's not always about you. 
And if that's the only lens you'll have, you'll have trouble figuring out God when what you're going through is more strategic than it is just pure sanctification for you. Now watch this. When he saw Jesus, he ran down and fell on his knees. Why did he do that? Because something got broken on the way over. Jesus had already won this one in prayer. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Listen, those demons knew who Jesus was. Disciples hadn't even figured it out yet. He was teacher. Demons knew. He's the Son of God. In God's name, don't torture me. There are so many hurting people out there that are being tortured by the devil, and they're thinking somehow God's torturing them. God's hurting them. God's allowed this planet to be so miserable. Don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion. That means there could have been approximately 5,000 demon spirits in the man. I think it's an interesting wordplay here because this area of Israel was totally controlled by Roman legions. The power of the day. There's some wordplay here going on as well of oppression in a country being dominated. For many... And the demons begged Jesus, don't send them out of the area. Why? Because this was an area of darkness. This was an area where they had ruled. This is an area where they had full sway. The culture was entombed, idolatry. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirit came out and went into the pigs. The herd about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. It's a shame they couldn't have barbecued him, but that's a different story. And anyway, they're drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were scared to death. Get this. The same way the story of the external storm ended, the story of the internal storm ended. The ocean was calm, back in its right mind, back to normal. Everyone that saw it was afraid. The man with the internal storm was calm, back in his right mind, fully dressed, and everyone was afraid. The storms you're going through now. They're not just meant to bring you revelation of yourself and of God. They are part of the process of releasing the people we were born to help. Of releasing the people in our families, in our relatives, in our loved ones, in our co-workers. Now, I'm going to go a minute more to to close a story in in a helpful way before I turn this to Morgan. Let me say, to them, they failed. They couldn't figure it out because, when, because the citizens were so afraid and so mad they'd lost their pork industry. They begged them, man, get out of here. The supernatural power scares us. I mean, you're messing things up. That's why many times when you change, you think your relatives are going to be happy, but they're threatened instead because the reality of God just appeared to them in human flesh. You really got changed, and it scares them. It threatens them if he's that real. Now watch this. 
The man looked at Jesus and begged him, can I be your disciple? Can, can I follow you? And the disciples did, couldn't figure it out because for the only time in his ministry, Jesus told a person, you can't follow me. You can't come get discipled. You're going to stay here. And the demonized man goes, like, what do I do? Go into all the cities you used to torment and just tell them what I did for you. The disciples and Jesus doesn't want him. I guess he's a failure, kind of a wasted mission. I went through all that storm and all that prayer and only one old crazy naked man got saved. I mean, what's this all about? Didn't even join the church. I mean, I kind of wasted it all. Little did they realize, beloved, that that testimony would so shake the Decapolis that when Jesus came back there in Mark chapter 6 at the end of the chapter, Every city in the Decapolis was shaken by healing power. Let me summarize this. This church is coming into a real surge of destiny. Into a fresh relaunching. And yes, it's going to result in great harvest, but there will be storms along the way. As you launch deeper into your marriage, deeper into your business, deeper into your community, deeper into discipleship, storms come out of nowhere that in many ways may be the most immense you've ever seen. Why? Because God in his sovereignty knows this storm is going to help you see what's inside of you, help you see what's inside of him, and give you the faith you need, the healing you need to harvest on the other side. Furthermore, there's a very real devil that comes to oppose you. And when he attacks you and you rise up and pray and speak that word and rally your brothers and sisters, the victories you win aren't just about making you whole. They're also about someone else's soul. So when you can't figure it out and when you're in pain and when you're in some kind of battle, the reason you can't figure it out is it's maybe not about you. It's about that person you've been praying for. We serve the Lord of the storm. We serve the storm Lord. There's no external storm he cannot calm. There's no internal storm he cannot calm. At his word, all of nature bows. At his word, all of creation will bow. At his word, demons tremble. No matter what kind of storm you may find yourself in this morning. No matter what you're going through. If Jesus seems asleep to you, it's not because he doesn't care. It's because he's not worried. He's got it. His words at work. You say today, Jim, I've been facing a storm. Pray for me. Put your hand up right now so I can see it. Holy Spirit, help this great church. Lord, half hands up. Help them. Whether the storm is external or internal, I invite you to help them, to touch them. I thank you for what you're doing in this great church. I thank you. They're freshly launching into everything you have. Pastor Morgan.